Genesis 18, verse 19. God speaking about Abraham. He says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. King James Version, Genesis 18, 19. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for those two small words, I know. Thank you, Lord, that you know. And Lord, that's both scary and sublime. So, Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and may you impart truth and life to us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. I have been, uh, been working like crazy on my house uh, the last couple of weeks. I've been laying floor. Uh, it was an insurance situation, and uh, I've been laying close to 1,000 square feet of flooring. And I've been working on it a little over two weeks. I think it was two weeks ago, Thursday, that I started. There's been several days when I would get up in the morning and I'd get started and wouldn't, wouldn't quit till 9.30 at night. Just take brief breaks to eat something real quick or eat while I'm working. And so it's been, uh, needless to say, I'm, I'm ready to be done and I'm tired of it and I'm just plain tired. I, I, I've been several times on my knees. I'm on my knees, of course, all day and, and uh, getting up and down. And, and I haven't exercised in a couple of weeks, but I figure you're up and down all day. You've, I've done about 300 squats every day. My poor knees are taking the hardest that in my lower back. It's not my calling. It's not my expertise. I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, Lori said, well, at least if you, you know, if you, if you don't preach anymore, you can do this. And I said, no, thank you. I'll uh, stand on a street corner and beg money. <laughs> One of the hardest parts of, the, of, of laying floor, and I was telling TJ earlier that, uh, you know, when I, I, I laid the floor I'm replacing 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago, and and I didn't know what I was doing. And so when I would go around the door casings, I, I would take a jigsaw and try to scroll around. the. And that was a disaster. It looked nasty. It looked horrible. But that's all I knew to do. I didn't know you could chop the bottom of the door casing off and shove it up underneath. And I learned that because I've laid floor six other times after that, you know, in every one of our bedrooms and, and, and various places. But um, so I've learned a lot and I've gotten better tools. And I know what I'm doing, but door casings still are horrible. And I was telling Stephen Friday night, you know, I said, I said, at least I've got the worst part of it done. I've got the door casings done. I've got, you know, front door, back door, and the doorway that leads out of the utility room. And all I've got left, you know, is I've got like uh, the, the hallway and a little alcove that goes into our bedroom. And then I got to thinking, wait a minute, there's a doorway that goes into our bedroom. There's a doorway that goes into our guest room and one into Lori's scrapbook room and another in, into the bathroom and another one into my office and then two closets. And I thought, that's seven door casings. That's 14 door casings. I thought, oh, great. So all of a sudden I felt like I wanted to puke. <laughs> and even though I've got very little of the floor to do, I've got the lion's share of the door casings. So that's, that's facing me in the next few days. But I'm really, I'm really ready to be done. When I when I uh, 
was talking to Stevens uh, Friday night, you know, I, you know, he realized I'd been working on this nonstop and just had my, had my mind on stuff. And he said, well, you know, at least, you know, maybe you can preach on laying floor on Sunday morning. As I, as I have learned how to do this, I have some knowledge. And some knowledge is both, is both dangerous and good. You know, when you get some knowledge, that's good, but sometimes it's dangerous. Paul said... You know, in the scriptures, he said, we know in part. And everything we know, we only know in part. What I do here and, and what I've been doing for 35, 36 years, I, don't, I can't remember, I lost count. But however many years I've been doing this, 52 times a year for 30 some odd, 36 years or so. You know, you'd think, okay, you're an expert at this. And I, I feel very, very much... Uh, needy when it comes to preaching. I, I'm going to be speaking at uh, Sarah's mops uh, tomorrow, and, I, and I'm dreading that. You know, I, I'm supposed to be good at this, and it's supposed to be what I do, but I still feel like I know in part. You know, and Paul said that. We know in part. No one has perfect knowledge. I, I w went into Stephen's shop the other day, and when I got there, Stephen and Tyson both had their heads buried in a, in a, under a hood. And uh, I walked over there and I said, do you all need my help? And you know, most of you know me well enough to know, I know it looks just like a bunch of wires and metal in there to me. I, I, know, I know nothing about that sort of thing. But they were, you know, seemed to be a little bit stumped at the moment. And as good as they are, they know in part. We, we all know in part. No one has perfect knowledge. Another verse tells us, Paul said, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And so we think sometimes we know something about something and then find out that we don't know everything about that thing. So Stephen had said that, you know, you should just preach on laying floor. And so I kind of am, kind of at least starting with that. But uh, I think I'd like to teach on something I know a little bit more about than laying floor. So what I did yesterday, and since I didn't have a lot of time, because I did get up yesterday morning and start laying floor till about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I thought, well, I better put together, slap together a sermon. <laughs> Usually I need, I need most of the day to put together a sermon. So I'm going to share something that I had thought about it about three weeks ago, and I'll, I'll tell you about it. And if I'll quit talking about the message and actually preach the message, it should be brief. Uh, consider this morning that this is going to be more of what I kind of do best under pressure, which is just a Bible study. Consider this this morning Sunday school, and uh, we'll, we'll enjoy it, enjoy our uh, time in, in the Word. I want to introduce my subject this morning by quoting something from last week's method, message. My third point from last week's message said this, acknowledge God's activity in your life. That was the third of three of four points in my message last week. I said that God is involved in your life. And what I want to do is I want to explore that briefly this morning and, and I want to expand on it, but then I want to move into something about God's knowledge. Because though I know in part, and though I don't know everything, there is someone who does know everything and doesn't know just in part. And we want to, I want to talk about that. But let me explore this for just a moment. 
Last week's verse that I used uh, in reference to this is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, which says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, that's a familiar verse to all of us, and most of us, you know, could probably quote that. I think the King James Version says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will uh, direct your paths. And I talked about that. It may make your path straight or make your path smooth, take the obstacles out of the way, make a channel for us, make it clear where we're supposed to go and all of that. And I don't know if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't want to know that their paths are straight or smooth or lined out by God. How would you like to get up every morning and, and think, you know, God's going to direct me today and I'm going to be exactly where God wants me to be? Well, God's promising here that that can happen, that I will make the God. That's a promise from God, and that's a promise God's going to keep if we do our part. If we do part A, God will do part B. If I do my part, God will do his part. So what is our part? How can I assure myself every day that God is going to make my, my path straight? Very simply, that in all my ways I acknowledge him. Now, Lori and I have talked for years how sometimes there's cliches with Christians that we just say enough that, you know, if somebody came to me for counseling, you know, and I, and I said, oh, just, just uh, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, thank you. And they go home and think, well, what does that mean? And how do I do that? And so sometimes we, say, we read things like this, in all your ways acknowledge him, oh, okay, I'll do that. How, how do I do that? How do I acknowledge God? in all of my ways. So what I did last week is I took that word acknowledge, it's a Hebrew word yada, and I showed you a, a bunch of other ways it can be translated. These are other translations of the word yada scattered out throughout the Old Testament. In all your ways acknowledge God, acquaint, be aware, comprehend, consider, discover, discern, experience, find, know, perceive, regard, and there's a bunch of others that I left out. I just highlighted some of, the, some of the various translations of this word. So let me show you how, what to do with this verse. Let's, let's go to that next verse again, the verse again. In all your ways acknowledge God. Let's take the word acknowledge and let's supply one of those other words in there because it will help us to understand how we are to do our part. Here's, here's some examples of that. Substitute one of those other words. For instance, in all your ways, be aware of God. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever choices you make, whatever paths you choose, simply always have this awareness of God. God says, if you do that, I will direct your paths, I'll make your paths smooth. So use another word. In all your ways, discover God. Let, let it be a game. Let it be a, a, a chance to discover where is God in this situation. Another word that we can use, in all your ways, experience God. How can I experience God in this choice that I'm making? How can I let God be a part of this? Because he wants to be and he, he desires to be a part of your, your day and a part of your life, to be that friend, to be a companion with you in that moment. So in all your ways, experience God. In all your ways, find God. In other words, again, where is God? You know, you, you've seen those, where's Waldo? It's a game where you try to find where Waldo is. Well, try to find where God is in this situation. 
God, where, where, where are you and what are you doing? So in other words, let each of your ways become an opportunity to experience God. Let each of your ways be a chance to discover God. Let each of your ways give way to an awareness of His presence. Now, if, if you're like me, and you know, I'm pre- preacher's about to confess here, if you're like me, we go too long and too often without giving God a second thought in our day. Really? Gasp? The pastor doesn't think about God 24-7? Well, sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I'm involved in something. Sometimes I'm laying floor. You know, and I'm doing stuff, and I'm trying to figure out this measurement, and where's God? Do you think Jesus ever had that issue? Do you think that Jesus ever got so distracted or so busy that God was somewhere on his back burner? I think Jesus even had a back burner. There was this incredible awareness in Jesus of his father always being with him. He would make mention of that. You'd see him walking along and say, I thank you, Father, that you have heard me. Well, wait a minute. We didn't read where he talked to God. That's because God was just always in his thoughts, always there, always present. He was experiencing God, discovering God, finding God, being aware of God, being acquainted with God, being acknowledging God. And guess what? God was directing his paths and making his paths smooth. But that's not really my point this morning. That's kind of an introduction to what I want to talk about because I, want to, I don't want to talk about our acknowledging God. I want to flip this around and talk about God acknowledging us. You think God acknowledges us? Acquainted with, experience, discover, find, know, be aware of. Well, the Bible tells us that he does, and I want to talk about that. So here's what I did. A little Bible study slash Sunday school this morning. About three weeks ago, I was writing just some thoughts down, just some, a variety of thoughts, possible future messages, you know. So I was writing down thoughts, seeing kind of where it took me. And I was thinking about the passage that I talked about the last couple of weeks, for I know the plans that I have for you. And uh, I thought about the, the words God, where God says, I know. And I, and I was curious. I get curious like this sometimes. So I thought, I'm going to look up the places where, God, where the Bible says God knows something. So I did a, I did a quick search Uh, in the Scriptures, of all the places that that phrase, I know, is found. And it's a bunch. There's a bunch of them. So I went through every one of them, and I started marking out the ones where God was the speaker, where God says, I know. Not where man was saying, Paul says, I know in whom I believe. So there are a lot of places where man was saying, I know, but I wanted the places where God was saying, I know. And I found about 30 of them. So in those 30, I started, uh, I started kind of uh, combining some of them because some of them were similar, and it came up with 13 ways, 13 I knows of God. I thought, well, that would be way too much to preach in a message, in one message. So what I did was I looked through them again, and I started, com- I started categorizing them, and it came up with eight, eight categories where God says, I know. And then I thought, I'll go one step further and just get up on Sunday morning and say, God knows everything. 
you're dismissed. Go home and work out the implications of that for yourself. We're done. No. So, you're not so lucky this morning. I'm going to actually talk to you about it, the eight categories, but I'm going to be brief. I could spend five minutes on each, but eight times five is 40, and we'd be here the next 40 minutes. So, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You can time me on each one. But here we go. Let me talk about the eight categories where God says, I know. And by the way, just, just, to, just to remind you that it is true, God does know everything. God is omniscient. But there are, again, 30 times where he declares specifically, this is what I know. And I'm going to move from the scary to the sublime. So we'll start with the scary, because it is scary. And I decided to make it a little bit uh, more casual and not just have the eight things be I know, but, but to kind of put it in a little bit of a negative context. And that's what I mean. Number one is... You can't get away with murder. Okay? Now, there's no place in the Bible where it says that explicitly. You can't get away with murder. But there are all, uh, a number of places where God says, I know your sin. Here's four of them real quick. I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. I thought my wife was the only one that knew how stubborn I was, but <laughs> apparently God knows it too. I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. And we could multiply this. God, in other words, God says, I know your sin. I know, what, I know your sin. You can't get away with murder. This is the scary one. God is aware of my, of my, dare I say, secret sins that I think nobody else knows about. God is aware of those sins that you hide well from others. Those sins that you think nobody else knows about. I was reading the story, the gruesome story of the father of uh, Earth Day that ended up beating brutally beating his girlfriend stuffing her in a trunk and putting it in his closet for 18 months until he was discovered hiding his sins but you can't get away you can't hide from god you can't hide these things from god god knows your sins so it begs the question what should we do about that how about let me give you two suggestions number one Confess them because he knows them anyway. And how about number two? Stop them. Stop it. You know, God knows your sin. Number two, you can't fool God. I've got three different subheadings of this, and I'll be brief on this, but you can't fool God. Here's the first verse I want to talk about Genesis 20, verse 6. I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. God knows your motivations. God knows, behind, God knows what's behind the decisions that you make and what you do. We often don't know those things. The Bible tells us that our hearts can sometimes deceive us. I know my heart deceives me because I, I wonder sometimes, why am I really doing this? Is it because of this? or is it? Be, and then sometimes I just don't know. My heart lies to me. 
I want to think that I'm doing this out of the integrity of my heart. But, you know, if I've done this good deed, have I really done this good deed out of the purity and kindness and servanthood and selflessness of my heart? Or have I done it because I want somebody to notice and to pat me on the back and say, good job? Because sometimes I think I'm doing it out of the purity of my heart, but then nobody notices and then I get upset. Aha, uh-huh. that reveals my true motivation. So God knows even the motivations of your heart, why you do what you do. Here's another interesting one, Deuteronomy 31, 21. I know what they are inclined to do even today before I brought them into the land that I swore to give. God even knows our inclinations. You can't fool God. Sometimes we do try to do that, don't we? Have you ever bargained with God? God, if you'll get me out of this bind, I promise I'll start reading the Bible every day. And you can imagine God sometimes going, rolling his eyes and saying, no, you won't. I know your inclinations. I know what you're inclined to do. The children of Israel said that one day. They said, oh, God, you know, give us, tell us your word, and we'll follow you. And God, you know, throws up his hands, and I'm embellishing a little bit, but the Bible actually says, God said, oh, that I wish there were an heart in them to do that. I wish there were. I wish they would do that. I wish that was their inclination, but it's not. It's not going to happen. So God knows our inclinations. I'll start going to church. I'll start tithing. I'll start doing this. If you'll get me out of this financial bind, I'll start giving to the church. God says, no, you won't. (laughs) Now, he may have mercy on us and actually deliver us from that, but he knows our, our inclinations. I'll start reading my Bible. So anyway... That's our inclinations. And thirdly, real quick on this, on this one, I know their thoughts. I know the things that come into your mind. I've often told people that God knows your thoughts anyway, so don't lie to Him in a prayer. Just be honest with Him. You're not going to fool God. Might as well be honest with God. It's like those people that you see standing on the street corner. The first one I ever saw that did, did this was in Bellingham, Washington, when Lori and I went to Bellingham one year. I saw a guy on a street corner, young, youngish man, had a sign that said, I'm not going to lie, I want money for some weed. <laughs> and just recently in San Antonio, I saw a similar thing, a guy, middle-aged guy, homeless-looking, he said, I'll be honest, I'm a bum and I need money for alcohol. People were giving him money. I wonder if God would find it refreshing if we were honest with him and with ourselves and just said, God, you know I'll probably fail anyway, but please have mercy on me. God, I want to want to do this. You see, you're being honest with God then. So you can't fool God. Number three. You can't hide from God. Here's what he says. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in. Also, I know where you live. (laughs) He knows where you live. God, God knows where you go, where you live, when you get up, when you lie down. See, there he is. I told you we're going to move from the scary to the sublime. Thank you for that sound effect, Michael. (laughs) 
see, it was God. It was. He, knows, he knows where you're going, what you're doing. He knows when you want to sneak off at night and book a ship to Tarshish, like Jonah did. Can't run from me, Jonah. Try as you might. Go to that weird place. You look, at, you look for that on the, in an atlas, a Bible atlas, and I have some of the foremost Bible atlases ever known to man. And they always put, whenever I look up Tarshish, it, put, it puts it way over to the west somewhere and then puts a question mark because they don't really know where it's at. But God does. Jonah's thinking, man, I'm going to go someplace that's not even on the map that has a big question mark on it. God says, I know where you're at. Can't hide from me. I know where you live. I know your address. I know your phone number. I know your social security number. All right, number four. You can't ignore a relationship. You have a relationship with God. It may be bad. It may be good. It may be sort of non-existent. That in itself is a relationship. There's two sides to this. There's God's side where he says this. I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. I know you by name. I can think of very few things in the scripture that blesses me more than this. Where God says, I know you by name. I know you by name. There's, they say that there's nothing sweeter in the language than your own name. And to hear God call us by name is life-changing. You find the places in the scriptures where God calls somebody by name, and you will see an absolute total change in their life at that moment. When God called them by name, and he knows them by name. I'll never forget one of the most difficult years of, of our life, mine and Lori's life, was preceded by a stranger walking up to us. We had no idea what was coming this, that year. But a stranger came up to us and said, and gave us this scripture. He said this, I don't know you and you don't know me, but this is what he gave us. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you sh shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I cannot tell you what a comfort it was that in the midst and after the, after the aftermath of this most difficult year of our life, where God brought me back to that scripture, and he said, See? And it all has to do with, I know you, I know your name, I can call you by name, and that means you belong to me. It's beautiful. So, that's God's side, but what about our side? Here's two verses. I know that you fear God. I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Two different people, two different places, two different times. But God's saying, I know when you fear me. I know when you don't fear me. I know what you think about me. I know how much you love me. Not how much you sing about how much you love me, but how much you really, really love me. I know that. You know, we, we, we've gotten to, you know, as human beings, we, we sort of know how, 
kind of get a sense of what people think about us. You know? Do they really love me? Do they really like me? God knows your heart, and he knows. I, 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 I remember a guy telling me one time, and I knew about this guy's life, but he was telling me and sort of almost bragging about his reckless and sinful life. And in the midst of telling me this, he, he blurted out, he said, but I fear God. And I thought, what? You fear God? You're describing and bragging and boasting about how reckless and sinful your life is, and yet, I fear God. No, you don't. And God knows that. God knows. He knows when He's loved. He knows when it's mere words. He knows when you're just saying it. Number five, you can't hide your talents. This is, this is a passage in Exodus uh, where, you know, this is just after Moses had said to God, but I can't speak too well. <laughs> I can't, I, I'm not eloquent. God must have known that, so he sends him Aaron. He says, about Aaron, he says, I know that he can speak well. I know that. I know that about him. I know he has that ability. God knows your abilities. God knows your capabilities. God knows your talents. God knows your gifts. Uh, could it be because he's the one that kind of gave you those? Probably. But here's the thing. God knows your abilities, and here's what God wants to do. He wants to use your abilities for his glory. He sends him Aaron because he says, Aaron can speak well, and that's going to bring glory to me. Go with, go with Moses. Speak well. Speak for him. God wants to use your talents for his glory. So how about this, people? How about using the talents that you know and the abilities you have for the glory of God? Not just for the glory of yourself or not just for the glory of making money. Number six. Zipping through these things. You can't be anonymous with good works. Now, I talked about good works uh, earlier and talked about how sometimes our good works have false intentions and false motivations, but sometimes we actually get it right. Sometimes our good works are good works, and that's it. We don't want anybody to know, yet God knows. And I love that. I love it that maybe nobody else knows what you did, that secret thing you did, that good deed, that gift you gave, that way you served, trying to do it anonymously, but the Bible says God knows. Here are, here's a couple of verses on it. I know their works. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And by the way, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he says this five times. I know your works. 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 God's saying he knows, he sees, he watches, he sees what you do. And by the way, the Bible says he writes them down in a book of remembrance. He knows. Hasn't gotten past him. Number seven, next to the last. You can't give up on your destiny. And this is, this is where everything else, all the rest of what I've shared sprang from. It's from the verse in uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, which I won't speak to very much because I just spent the last two weeks talking about this verse. But God says, I know the plans I have for you, the plans I plan for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know the plans. So simply, very simply put, God knows his plans for you. And uh, you may not know them. Uh, you may not understand them. 
You may not be able to see beyond today. You may not know what tomorrow holds. But rest assured, God says, I know them. And there's a future and a hope out there for you. So that's a beautiful thing. Last one. You can't be alone with your hurts. You won't be alone with hurt. Your hurts is what I should have said. You will not be alone with your hurts. Here's a couple of verses. I know their sufferings. I know your tribulation and your poverty. This is, I said we were going to move from the scary, scary to the sublime. To me, this is, this is sublime. This is God, if you can say God at his best. Not that God has worse <laughs> or, or not so good, but to me, this is sublime. It is God saying, and, and by the word, the word know that we looked at throughout these, this message, the word know there is a Hebrew word yada, which means experience, experiential knowledge, not just I know. Oh yeah, I know, I know they're suffering down there. But I know meaning I experience this with them. When they cry, I cry. When they hurt, it pains me. When they hurt, it moves me. When they hurt, my heart of compassion is moved with them. I know their sufferings. You will not suffer alone. He feels what you feel. He hurts with your heart and comforts and delivers you. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to send, God's going to send the comforter. You know, aren't you glad he chose that word? Holy Spirit, not, I'm going to send a judge to you. I'm going to send a teacher to you. So I'm going to send a comforter to you. And that he, Greek word means one who has been called alongside. I'm going to send a companion with you. Somebody who can walk with you through this thing. To go with you. Because that's God's heart. You won't suffer alone. He says, I know your sufferings. And I know your sufferings. I feel you. And I feel your pain and your hurt and your need. That's the sublime.